This is On Call Dr. Dave. Today our guest is Nurse George. Now, Nurse George and I have known each other for a couple of years now, and you pop in, you're not in my OR as often as some of the other nurses, but you pop in quite a bit, and I've always enjoyed your stories. You have a lot of them, being in the, in the Army, working as a medic in the Army, and then being a nurse for years. And I've always just loved listening to you talk and telling your stories. And I can't believe it's taken us this long to get you on the podcast. Uh, but you wrote me out a list of about 20 or 30 stories once we talk about the podcast in about five minutes. You so. brought it home and showed me, like, which ones do we have him talk about? So well, we might have to have you on multiple times. That's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I've thought of other things that are just even, oh, my God, crazy, crazy stuff. And it is, you know, I never make fun of the patients. That's but. The stuff that goes on with what's going on in their story or going on with their lives or it's you you can't believe some of the stuff, the the most incredible stuff's the true stories. You can't make it up, you know, and Mm -hmm. I found that in this, too. And so I've just had a great, wonderful time in my life and just seeing things go on and working over where we work now. It's like we do a lot of uh, cataract cases and I've met some of the most incredible crazy wild people have done the craziest wild stuff every time i take them back to the room i ask them what they did for a living and met one guy who did uh he was on the apollo 13 rescue crew over at houston you know he was part of the guys putting the, the scrubbers together and doing the engineering trying to get them back and i was like you're kidding me he goes no no and he knew he knew all these astronauts and stuff and i didn't watch the yankees when i was a kid i was an astronaut kid you know space guy, you know? <laughs> It's just really fun at this part of my life. I'm getting to meet these kind of people. And it's really, and then you got the guys who just was a cowboy out in land passes. And he was just the funniest old coot you ever wanted to meet. And he was everything you would think he would be and more. And, and, and he was real. I mean, this was a real guy. He wasn't a cartoon. He wasn't a, a, a character. He was this person who lived and had his life. And now we're fixing his eyes so he can go out and find calves out in the, out in the, uh, Lamp necessary, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great thing. And well, I really enjoy it. Yeah. We actually get to know people. So, so many careers, so many professions, you talk to somebody just, but it's only work related They're in and out of your life. You don't really get to know people in medicine, even in our brief encounter encounters with people, we know intimate details about their lives, who they are, what they're done, what they're there for. They tell us things because they're scared or they're looking to connect. And so we actually get to know these people, even in these brief encounters. Like you said, we don't make fun of these people, but they tell us and we interact in some of the most interesting ways with these humans that I love it. I love getting to know the crazy, the exciting, or just knowing what people do. I've I've worked on professional wrestlers and cow wranglers and inventors and and then or just people that, you know, immigrated and they are forming a new life in this country. And they're starting from nothing, and they're here for the American dream. Extraordinary, ordinary people. I mean, really. It's it's exactly that. And I've worked on some famous people here, people you would know, and I'm sure you have too. I would know. And and (laughs) they've got some (laughs) crazy stories also. It's just, (laughs) you know, it's just off the wall. Uh, Here we go. One person, uh, you know, we check for their their, uh, allergies before we go back. And he's a famous guy. People know who he is, and uh, he was allergic to ketamine. And that's something that it's kind of hard to figure out. You're allergic to ketamine. <laughs> I was asking him, hey, ketamine, how, how do you know you've been allergic to ketamine? He goes, 
it's just a really long story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're not going to talk any more about it. And uh, that's it. I said, we're not going to give you any of that. And we went on back and I played his music during his surgery, which was another <laughs> crazy, surreal, weird thing that just this guy's playing music and, and he's having surgery done. He's out and we're listening to his music while we're doing his surgery. You know, it's just where do you get to do that? I mean, where do you yeah, get no, to do that? Nowhere else do you get to do stuff like that. No. Now, when you, the, fir the first thing that you wrote down when we were talking about recording and having a conversation, the very first thing you wrote down and talked to me about was getting punched in the nose by a seven-year-old. She hit me like a dude. She hit me like a dude. And now, to, to matter, she didn't do it on purpose. She was uh, emerging from anesthesia after a tonsillectomy. Okay. Mm -hmm. they, they, you know, kids would do that. They kind of, they're kind of shocked when they come out of it. And dumbass me wasn't paying attention. And, uh, well, you know, when they pull the tube, there's a little blood. And you're, you're concerned about that. I was looking at that. And all of a sudden, I just saw stars, just stars. <laughs> and, and I'm just like standing back and my scrub tech's laughing because she saw what happened. She's kind of more of a, a surprise laugh. You know, it was like, she's <laughs> laughing. And then she saw it really hit me. And you can see the face change. And she hit me like a dude. She caught me right wearing the snot locker as hard as she could. And, and, and she was a, she was a decent sized little seven-year-old. She was more like towards the eight-year-old, you know, frame and, and she just hit me perfect. And it just, oh, I'm lucky it didn't bleed or anything, but it was just that shock and that pain and the, you know, the <laughs> eyes going, you, you see the flat. And just uh, so unexpected too. Just, oh you're not God. waiting. You're not sitting there on guard for a seven-year-old to pop you in the face. No. no, we told her mom and dad and they thought it was, you know, they were like shocked. I said, no, well, I'm fine. It just, it's just one of those funny things that happened. And, and, it just happened to me. So, and a lot of things have happened to me that just, you know, I've seen other things happen to people too, but, but that's their story, not mine. Well, if, if my dad ever comes to have surgery with you, expect him to take a swing. He's the nicest man in the world, but once he has some anesthesia, he turns into just an ass and he will cuss you out and he'll take swings. Yep. Teams, cops, firemen. And that's been, and, and, Recently, too, with the military, too, when they come in with some of the PTSD guys. But we treat them with respect and care, and we don't want them to get hurt or anything like that. So we kind of expect that. But you yeah. got a seven-year-old that's just going to knock the block <laughs> off it like Joe Frazier, you know, hitting them. It, uh, and so it was funny, but, you know, it was one of these things you learn a lesson, too. So, you know. Yeah, always be on guard, yeah. Those seven-year-olds back me in the OR again, so, you know. <laughs> Live and learn. Well, now, you, wrote, you wrote down something that I have no idea what it means, so I don't know anything about this story other than you wrote down the words Dr. Bean. What right, does that mean? What is that story? I was in the United States Army, and I worked family practice residency clinic. It was a great job. I got to do all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm sending, here I am, 19 years old with these residents, doing crazy resident stuff with them. I'm their little brother just hanging around, you know. <laughs> Dr. Bean was this very straight-laced, very competent, good guy. And uh, had like an eight or nine-year-old. He was he was a younger child. He had diabetes, and he had a huge abscess right here on the crown of his head. 
And Dr. Bean just decided he was going to just pop it and you know get a culture and go. And he's getting it and he's festering it up. And then all of a sudden it just exploded. And his face was straight over it. Oh, caught it full force. He was, eh, it was about that far. It popped, hit him right face. I'm standing there and I'm like, oh shit. And I, oh. He, and he looks up and he's got a mustache kind of like mine. And this, and the Tesla's <laughs> dripping off his mustache. Oh. And, and I was like, God, I was biting my lip. I mean, I'm 19. That was funny shit. You know, that was. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was trying not to laugh at it. I couldn't. He just looked at me like, don't you say a word or I'll kill you. <laughs> it was, you know, I was, I was embarrassed for him, but you know, it was, you know, you got brothers, you know what happens, you know, you see a brother get something happen to him. You're going to laugh at it too, you know? And, but the kid, kid didn't know what happened. So he just, Dr. B yeah. off and kept going, but it was a puya. I was like, oh. Like a consummate professional. Dr. He was, he was, he did it with wow. very, with grace and uh, and some dignity, but it was still funny. God, it was I wish I could say I have no idea what that's like, but I was working on a facial uh, cyst one time, a sebaceous cyst, large sebaceous cyst in this gentleman's cheek. And he is, he has a little drape over him to keep things sterile. And I'm working on this cyst and I'm trying to make a really small incision because it's right on his face in a very obvious spot. And so I'm working on this and I'm just kind of working out all of the sebaceous fluid and it's, it's, it's thick. It's kind of like cottage cheese material. It's, it's has a nasty smell to it. And I'm trying to just decompress it just so that I can keep the incision as small as possible. As I'm going to push some of that material out, his cheek folds on itself and it just points right towards me and shoots me full in the face too. <laughs> and same thing, I have a mustache, I have the beard, yep. it's just everywhere, it's disgusting. But this patient sitting there, he doesn't know what's going on because he just is covered up and I'm not gonna gag or say anything. I'm just playing it cool. So I just say, oh, I need to go grab something from the other room. I will be back in just a minute. My tech will just stay here with you. <laughs> I go, I'm almost dry heaving by the time I make it to the other room. I rip off everything on my face. And I just, I'm scrubbing with soap and water three or four times, but trying to go as fast as possible. So he's not wondering why the surgeon's gone so long. Right, right. I pop back in the room. I finish the case. My assistant's just looking at me, just like same thing, just wondering. She wasn't even laughing. She just thought it was the most disgusting thing possible. She's well, yeah, to, yeah. There's that. There's Ends of the spectrum, disgust or just laughing your ass off. I, I get it. I, I finished the case. I never even told the patient, and he has no idea to this day that that happened. But the it was just, it's me, just I was just swimming, went yeah. to the bank for a minute and came right back. So <laughs> there are several times when he's come home and be like, we just have to look at each other and say, we believe in soap. We believe that soap works, just having to. Yeah. Say that affirmation over and over again. We believe in soap. I don't even think I let you touch me that day until I shower. I'm going to shower first and then we, we can talk about my day. But <laughs> I'm showering first. You just feel grody. I, I, I leave my stuff there. I can't. I can't bring the dirty scrubs home. Some folks <laughs> wear scrubs home. I can't do it. It just stays there. But yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> I know another 20 stories that are very or just to that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And, 
It's yeah. I could go on a riff on a few of those stories, but it almost it might lead into one of the other stories you wrote down too, is something about a proctoscope. Oh, so Jesus. Well, of, explain to me what a proctoscope yeah, is. Yeah, doesn't know what a proctoscope yeah. is, so you may have to yeah, explain what it is. This was older times. This this was this was medieval stuff. Okay. Okay. They, they, all right. Well, you do a proctoscopy. You had a anal scope. Mm-hmm. You got in there. You got past the the sphincter, and you got you know they were okay. Sure. Then you then this the proctoscope goes through it because it gives you a conduit for it to go through and it's not so uncomfortable for the patient. Okay. And oh, they're about what are they? They're twelve to fourteen. They're marked. Yeah. They're marked. You can see so them. instead of yeah, instead yeah. of like a full colonoscopy where the camera's going all the way in there, it's mm-hmm. it's more rigid. You're not going that far. It's just to look at the okay. like you know, right. like you heard proctologist, the anus. So mm-hmm. like you know, you're looking into the initial part of the colon, but it's Hemorrhoids rigid. You're not or, really, yeah, okay, like, yeah. so not very far. Or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it can go, it can go up all the way down the descending colon. So okay. you, you can get pretty far. Like you said, it's like 12, 14 inches. So you're getting up. There are good ways okay. that you need to. And this guy had a some kind of a rectal prolapse with a diverticulum. I can't remember it all, but it had folded in on itself, and you know how it kind of gets convulsed. Well, old dude didn't do his uh, his prep the night before, and the doctor said, uh, "You know where this is going." The doctor said, "That's oh, okay. We're not going that far in. We're just going to look at your lower your lower rectum here." And, just make sure everything's okay. So you put the anoscope in. That wasn't a problem. It was about, oh, just, you know, it's like two or three inches long. It just gets in. And he puts it in. And he looks and he sees something because it's got a little little uh, porthole flap on it. And you can see through it. And it's got a light in it. And he's looking. He doesn't go very far in. He goes probably six inches past. And he sees something. He looks at it. He says, uh, give me a swab. I'm like, I have a swab ready. He opens it up. Now, remember, this guy hadn't prepped. Right. He opened it up and there was, he did something that caused this just to go. And he caught this. Again, I'm standing on the wall, biting my lip. <laughs> Bill's standing there looking at me and he's like, You son of a bitch, just don't stop, stop. I, mean, I couldn't. And the guy was like, Oh, doctor. Oh, thank you. And I was like, That was even the worst part because he was, the, the guy was like, Oh, you gave me such relief. And Bill's got poop. You know, again, just a little. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to make you go, Jesus Christ. There, there's no such thing as, as a small amount. Any amount is too much. You yeah, know? And, and it smells like poop. And, you know, it looks like poop. And it's consistent. <laughs> and then my here, I'll just go ahead and give you my poop story. Because this happened. Uh, we were doing a, a lady case. Just a, a, a hysterectomy with a repair, you know, that kind of thing. And when you're doing these, if they're the rectal's supposed to be clean because they're doing the pelvic floor and that kind of stuff. And I, I prep her, everything's good. And then I look down and there's this little thing just kind of peeking at me through the little hole there. And I was like, all right, just reached down, just took my pinky, pulled it out, and it was like I pulled the, the cork out of the dam and she just blasted me. Just <laughs> and and this is exactly what my scrub tech was doing is what your wife's doing right there. And she was starting to cry. And and people heard the commotion. And they look through the door and they see me all covered. And then they yeah. look at Benny, look at my scrub tech over there and she's crying. And they thought I'd done something mean to her to make her cry. And she's just laughing at me because I'm just covered in poop. 
And I just kept on going. I just had to finish my prep and get things ready yeah. for the patient. Yeah, I'm a professional, but you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just, so my, and, my worst poop story was oh. drawn out for two hours. So I was doing an, I was, I was a med student working on my surgery rotation, OB guy rotation. We're doing a, a sling, doing some stuff. She had a rectal prolapse. There's a bunch of stuff going on. And so it's a four hour case with the robot. And the surgeon is using the Da Vinci robot. So the surgeon's 10, 15 feet away from the patient. And I am wedged between, right between the patient's legs and the robot with about six inches between my face and her lower yeah, yeah. <laughs> portion of her body. It's like right in front of the vagina. Right Were you using the, the manipulator for him? Or? I was using the manipulator for him. And so I had one manipulator in the vagina, one inside the rectum. And I'm moving him back and forth so mm -hmm. the surgeon can have open surgical points. Two hours in, he's done with me manipulating the rectum. And he tells me to take out the rod, the rectal rod, the manipulator. Mm -hmm. And it's been in there for two hours. And I know that anus is dilated and it's not going to hold shit in. Mm -hmm. And I say, and as a med student, you never second guess or even ask a question of an attending surgeon when they give you a, an order. And you said, take it out. And I said, That's right. can I leave it in? And he said, no, take it out. And I just look at him and say, he said, please, can I leave it in? And he says, take it out. So I take it out and it comes just, just a yes. constant stream right. of just poop is coming out at me the next two hours while I'm working on this. And I am six inches away from it and it's just dripping down my gown. Oh, yeah. well, at least and you then, had your gown on. <laughs> yeah, so I have a gown and then but there's nowhere to go and I'm still right. doing my job and I'm just drenched in this. And then when they move the patient and the robot out at the end of the case, the nurse walks by and she gags. And I just say, you have no right to gag. I've been sitting literally in shit for two hours. And I just, <laughs> I didn't say a word after that. I just left. And that was another day that you didn't touch me until I showered that night. Well, you know, she's an, I wouldn't either. Yeah, I'd, I'd laugh at him too. <laughs> there are many. I mean, there are many a days when you're going through medical training where it's one of those things where they walk in the door and then it's just shower. It's like, all right, all right. There's no, there's no talking about it. Just mm -hmm. that comes first before any conversations. Any, how was your day? Nope. You kind of have an idea if the first thing they say to you is shower. You kind of know how their how their day went. You know, but yep. It's one What's of those things. Poop, you're covered in poop. There ain't nothing yeah. else we'll do. That's, nope. That was your nope. day. That was yeah. your day. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, resident, resident life with resident wife. I love that. That's just kind of, I, I saw a lot of that too. When I worked at OU Children's, I worked in the pediatric urology and, uh, I, you know, those guys became my brothers and you get involved in their families. It, it, you can't help it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, why do y'all get pregnant and, in medical school and residency. I don't know why you would do that to yourself. It's just, they always seem to have babies, you know, and it's like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. One, one thing is you get sick of putting your life off, waiting for the training to finally end. And once you realize that the training's not going to end for another five, 10 years, and then you, you, you don't want to be any older to right. you start, you want to start life. And yeah. Life keeps moving on, whether you want it to or not. Or That's time right. keeps marching, right? Keeps marching across your face. But <laughs> oh kind of, you know, that says so. It's one of those things that that it's you put a lot of things at the altar of medicine uh, when you do this 
But, uh, you know, having like starting a family is not one of those that we've decided to to put off. A lot of people do and they have their regret it. I know it's. uh... But honestly, we had kids when we were a little bit younger. And I think of my friends that are having kids now or have young ones now. And I'm like, oh, man, being being pregnant now would just thought of it. Well, some of the doctors we work with over at, at where we work at, I mean, there's a couple of them baby faced. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't believe they had kids and they got kids that are 14, 16, 18 years old and they, they don't look much older than their kids. You know, it, it's a, it's a crazy thing, but yeah, yeah it <laughs> <laughs> next, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do some non poop related or non, uh, well, access we, can do, we can do a whole show on myself Saturday or something, you know, it'd be a great one. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, like some of yeah, we sometimes get stuck on themes with people. I, I interviewed a nurse early on, and every story he told was just reminded him of another Foley catheter story. And he told five or six Foley catheter stories. Well, that's me too. I'm a urology guy. That's really mm-hmm. my thing. And uh, just uh, I, I catheterized the cervix one time, so put mm-hmm. it in the cervix, not into the urethra. That now that's I was proud of that. <laughs> That that was the one time mess up that I was proud of because nobody else can do that. Hell, some of the GYNs can't get the cervix, get a hold of the cervix. Hell, I got it with the foley, you know. So. <laughs> and uh, well, I can badge of honor did about a billion of them, and that was the one time, you know. And that's another thing about nursing: you could do a billion things right, and you screw up one time, one time, and you oh, it's wiped out. Mm-hmm. Hack you, mm-hmm. nurse that I work with, brilliant, fantastic, great great nurse and uh, did a billion things right. Well, one day in this hospital I worked in, you'd bring their, di- they'd wear their dentures back to the room. The OR nurse bring the dentures out, put them on the desk for the hacky uh, nurse. Well, this old guy came in one day and she gave him back his dentures and put them in. He goes, these aren't fitting real good. Did you guys do some for it? And she looks at it and it's some lady's dentures, not the old man's dentures. And she goes, here, let me take those. Let me wash them off and I'll see what I can do for you. She took them back, tried them these other dentures, put them in. Never told him. We told her, well, you know, we'll let you slide on that one. But, you know, she gave him some mouthwash. It all out. But, and she, she caught so much shit for that for the rest of her life that I knew her. But she was a great nurse, just a wonderful, wonderful nurse. And, you know, you screw up one time, you, you, <laughs> but you laugh at that kind of stuff, you know? Nobody was hurt, no harm, no foul, but it was made you, made her human, you know? She, yeah. You know, and, and you've seen it too. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. that's what I like about this. You know, I've been doing this since I was, well, I got my first job when I was 16. I was the orderly in the uh, OR in this little town I lived in. My sister was one of the nurses that worked in there. And let me tell you this, no nurse ever helped me clean up a room. So uh, it was my job, not the nurse's job. Now here, nowadays, it's become the nurses or the people cleaning the rooms and stuff. And they're, nah, I'm no, bitter, no bitterness here. I'm just old. I can't help But it's, it's changed from 1976 when I started to now. It's just been... A crazy, crazy wild ride, and uh, I won't go into the corporate stuff. But you know, it's just they, it seems like that's being taken away from us. You know, the, the the care we're more worried about getting. We're not taking. We're not talking to the patients. We're not getting to know them. You know, I ask these cataract patients what they do just to help take it off their mind. They're real nervous the first time they go in. 
And cataract surgery is easier than going to see the dentist. It really is. When I was eight years old, I remember my grandfather had his cataract surgery. It's 1968. And there's a picture of him. I got to find it. He's sitting on my aunt's couch after the surgery, and he's got this colander on his eye. It's like a colander. It's like this big steel colander taped to his eye, and he's sitting there looking at you like this. Now they walk out, and they got a little shield on, a little tape. I got something yeah. on my eye. <laughs> and it's done in 20 minutes. He was in the hospital for like a week, and he had to lay flat. Yeah, it used, yeah, used to be a week admission for a, for a cat. That's a big deal. For a week. Yeah. Yep, and... and you know, you see it now, it's just, I can't believe it. But, you know, you do, you are laying there and you got needles coming at your eye and you can see them. And it's, it's a, it's a intimidating thing, but we try mm -hmm. to get them through it and they do great. I mean, we got, we got really good eye surgeons over there. So I, I can't complain about any of them. So uh, it's an interesting thing. And it's, and the patients are wonderful and the staff we work with is great. And, you know, I can't, can't. Yeah. So it, it all does. It all comes back to the patient care and being there for the patient. And at least some of the paperwork that we do now has been beneficial. Doing the timeout, making sure everybody's on the same page, everybody has a time to speak up. That's reduced medical errors. Doing the count at the end of a surgery, making sure everything that we know could get lost is found. And you put down here on your list of things some some stories that you have a couple miscounts. So there's like a lap count incident number one and lap count incident number two. So laps are kind of like a sterile gauze. They're kind of long things. They they soak yes. up blood. I and learned so, that from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> oh yeah, I <laughs> use those a lot. I've had about <laughs> maybe five, but the two that I'm going to talk about are the ones that just. Uh, they were early when I became an OR nurse and they, uh, and they stuck with me. And that's, that's why I came up with my little catchphrase. Why do we count patient safety? And that's all patient it is. Safety. Patient safety. That's all yeah. the reason you're doing it. It's not that we're trying to mess with you. It's not that we're trying to make you feel bad about yourself. I don't care if you lost it, as long as you can help find it or make sure that the patient's safe, that's all good. You know, yeah. uh, uh, don't worry about making mistakes. Worry about hurting somebody. That's mm -hmm. my so anyway, the first one, oh my God. Remember the old hernia or the old abdominal hernia meshes? They they were huge. They mm -hmm. they're like 24 by 018. They put them in, had the fuzzy side on it, had to go a certain area. And this uh physician I worked with in Oklahoma was brilliant. And uh he was a Vietnam mesh uh uh surgeon, trauma surgeon, frontline out there and seen everything. Brilliant brilliant guy he had this big patient and he struggled getting this mesh sewn in on this abdominal hernia i mean they were big they were body mass over 50 percent. they had to be and he's sewn it in and we're, we're like okay we need to count we usually counted just because he was struggling we were too busy to count he was trying to get get it sewn mm -hmm. in and he was coming down here and we said okay so we're counting and we start counting and we're missing two laps we keep going he keeps sewing because he's having a hell of a time he knows they ain't there. We get, sir, we're missing two laps. We're missing two laps. And he's got like, oh, maybe that much more to sew that mesh in. <laughs> like an inch. And he goes, and he says, sir, we can't find it. So he goes, he takes it, clip, 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 clips the suture, reaches in, feels around. One. <laughs> oh. <laughs> two. <laughs> and he just looked at me like, eh. I'll never forget the look. I thought I was in so much trouble, but after he said, thank you, uh, was in that same hospital. And there was a, 
a 17-year-old girl, and she looked pregnant, really did. HCGs always came back negative, 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 no, no, no pregnancy. She had a huge ovarian tumor or ovarian cyst. You know those big ones, uh, the the gelatinous ones that looks like it has veins through it and it looks like a clear alien head when you take it out and it fits in a basin. That's the kind she had. Well, we were proud we got it out. We got the tumor or the the cyst in this big basin. They took it down to the pathology straight away. So we're starting to close. We can't find the labs. We're missing two labs again. So we keep looking and looking and looking. And I said, yeah, we get a call from pathology. Hey, we found two labs down here. It was like, yay. So we counted (laughs) in and we were off by three laps this time. And we'd been right all the time, but we were off by three. And we're like, where the hell did this come from? X-ray, 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 X-ray. Cleared patient, got him out of the room. Come to find out three laps were left in the trash can from the previous surgery that nobody told us about. And was and that's I found when I was digging again to do this. Oh. And we figured it out. And I was like, oh, my God. It just, you know, and you're worried because you never know where that's going to be in there. And uh, it, it just taught me that you got to be careful and you got to be safe with these things. And don't worry about the doctor getting mad because you don't want to go to court and say, well, we left this. Everything. Every lap count that's ever gone to court has been correct. Have you ever heard that one? <laughs> yeah, every, every lap count going to court has been correct in the OR. So, and, yeah. and it wasn't. So, well, you're gonna you're gonna find them eventually. It's either gonna be in a trash can underneath a patient, or if you leave it in there, it's gonna come back as an infection, and that patient's gonna get second surgery. Hopefully, live through it, but it's gonna be a lawsuit, or they'll get so sick and die. They're going to find it in the autopsy. So, oh, yeah. It's one of those things you're, you're going to find that lap eventually. You might as well find it while the patient's open and uh, make sure it's not in there. Fascinating thing I did see in the ICU. There was a patient that passed away, and we let them, for some reason, you know, usually take the monitors off and present them. So, mm-hmm. something happened. We had something go on. We didn't get the heart monitors off. And I was sitting at the monitor watching, and it was still, his monitor was still going. I didn't think any of it. And his wife came in and she said his name. And she started crying and you saw, okay. just saw, you saw a QRS complex with a little P and that was it. And I was like, that's crazy. That's crazy. He had one beat, one beat. He'd been dead for one beat. 15, 20 minutes. And when she said his name, one beat, she wasn't touching him. She wasn't anywhere near him. She was at the door to the bed and she just, you know, Roger so his, did that. And so he saw the beat. Flat. So he flatlined 15, 20 minutes ago. So he was clinically dead for 15, 20 minutes. And then she walked in, said his name, and his heart gave one last little beat. And that was it. And I saw wow. it. And it just, it just makes you go, what is going on here? You know, but it, it changes your view of things. And, you know, I was a cynical old army guy. I'd retired from the military and we were, I was a flight medic doing crazy, stupid, stupid stuff, having a great time. And uh, now I get here and you finally, we never saw that. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, it, it just changes your 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 aspect, your your look at it. And uh, I just didn't like working with those that stuff. That's why I went to the OR. So they yeah. don't remember you in the OR. So that's a good thing. <laughs> 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 they remember you then. But no, it's it, I've met wonderful patients, wonderful doctors, wonderful staff, and it's it's been a good thing. So I've had yeah, a it's a, it's a great thing. 
So just kind of my closing thoughts, just kind of wrap up, just, you know, we, we talked a lot about a lot of stuff, but just your last stories just make me think just, you know, as much as we all want to pretend like we're not going to die someday, we all will. We all try to live life as if that's not going to happen, but you should have your affairs in order. Your will should be just kind of clear cut. Right. Your family should know what your wishes are long before they ever need to know how you want to die, what you want done for you. And you need to have the right people in charge of, of those decisions. One last quick little story was I had a patient came in and he had Guillain-Barre syndrome, which um, basically like your nerves stop functioning and you can have some paralysis in your lower body, but it can keep going. And it basically it made it so far as his diaphragm so it can no longer move air. But Guillain-Barre can be treated. There's treatments that we can come up with. Sometimes you have long lasting effects, but you, it's not something that's instantly fatal. So we have this guy, Guillain-Barre, we have to intubate him. We contact the, his power of attorney because we don't have time to have the conversation with him before we have to put a tube in to breathe for him. We call his nephew, who is his legal power of attorney. Nephew says he would never want to be on a, on a machine, pull the plug and let him die. And we said, well, we have some treatment options. He may pull through. I think it makes sense to give him 24 to 48 hours to see if we can do that. He says, no, he would never want to be on a machine, pull the plug. But we got a sense that something was off with this and he was just really quick to pull the plug. And we, as physicians, thought that there was good reason not to, but we're supposed to obey the wishes, power of attorney. But somehow we found reasons why we couldn't quite enact his wishes for a while. There, for some reason, we just kept having delays. Some reason. Some, some reason. A flat, flat uh, a brain scan and all that stuff. You got to have a flat EEG and. Uh, uh, well, he was just nope. He just what couldn't breathe on his own, and the nephew said, "Pull the plug." But luckily, we kind of uh, delayed things long enough that he started to come back and started to you know breathe on his own again. Two days later, we were able to pull out the two. We tell him about his nephew, and he says, "He's no longer my power of attorney." <laughs> I, I should have not made him the yeah. I, I should have not made him the sole inheritor of all my money, and yeah. so you need to, you need to put it out there. People need to know your wishes. You need to make sure the person that you have as your power of attorney has right. your best interest at heart, That's not right. their best interest at heart. So. I would add that maybe your executor is not the person that inherits your money right. have them be two separate people that way those decisions oh don't get conflated or motivated by yeah. anything other than what's best for the patient or their wishes dealing with the interactions of family members are really difficult or just even just the dealing with people that are going through so so much hardship is hard to watch you know, it's been a crazy fun job that, you know, wears you out sometimes too. So Yeah, it does. It's, it's tiring sometimes. Now, Sounds tiring. Hey, yeah. I've enjoyed talking to y'all. This is great. I yeah. got more, uh, you're, you're bringing up stuff that I'm like, oh my no. God. Yeah, <laughs> we, we'll, we'll have you back on, George, because I can tell there's a lot more stories that we can dig into. Oh. We can share a lot more. So we will definitely have you back on. But thank you for spending the evening with us. Oh, Thanks for sharing great. your stories. Great. <laughs> it's great. 
Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.